chapter, if you would. Uh, The Missouri Prayer Amendment, in part, guarantees a citizen's right to pray and worship in all private and public areas, including schools, as long as the activities are voluntary and subject to the same rules and regulations that apply to all other types of speech. It reaffirms the right to pray on government premises and the right to have elected officials and members of the clergy offer prayer or invocations at meetings and assemblies. Students are allowed to express their religious beliefs in assignments free from discrimination and cannot be compelled to participate in assignments that violate their beliefs. Students in Missouri and across our nation are continually being silenced, being told they can't pray during graduation or or at school. And through court order and command of local school boards, students are being forced to participate in, in a diversity of programs that don't align with their religious beliefs. Now, for more information on this Amendment 2 here in Missouri that's coming up on August the 7th, you can see the back of your bulletin. And also there's uh, copies of the Metro Voice on the Connections table. That's a a newspaper. And uh, you ought to look at that Metro Voice and that article and what is happening or has happened in Franklin County right here in Missouri. We need to take this amendment very seriously. Um, So to preserve the religious freedoms our country was founded on, we'd encourage you, I'm not telling you how to vote, I'm just encouraging you, to vote yes on Amendment 2 on August 7th. I think it's part of the pulpit's responsibility, the preacher's responsibility to help educate the people as to what's going on. Um, You know, we want to move of the Holy Spirit. Well, one way that you can be moved by the Holy Spirit is to go out and let your voice be heard on August the 7th. Notice Psalms 11 verse 3 Psalms chapter 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, what made America so successful in the first place? What, what was its foundation? You know, the thing that makes a house successful is first the foundation that it's built on. Jesus talked about the importance of a foundation being either built on the rock or built on the sand. And uh, we need to understand the foundation of the United States, of this great America in which we live. And to get that, we would have to go back to the pilgrims to find out. And I'm titling this message today, Pilgrims, Pilgrims. You know, the Bible was printed for the first time. If you go back to the days of the pilgrims and and before they came over here to America, the Bible had been printed for the first time in English. And when when it came into the hands of the people, they realized they were in bondage to a state controlled religion. The government was controlling the church. Listen to this. The government back in the back in England, the government was controlling the church. And the church was controlling the people. The pilgrims were part of the Puritan movement. And it was established by the government that it was illegal to be a Puritan. 
Just think about that. The government saying that it's illegal to be pure. They decided to separate themselves from this environment. Thus, the separatist movement was born. Now, they had an underground church for about four years in England because it was illegal to do what they were doing. They wanted to worship God freely. So they had to go underground for about four years talking about who we would become to know as the pilgrims. They went underground for about four years in England. Then they went to Holland. And uh, that's actually miraculous in and of itself how they got to Holland. And uh, they were in a ship for about two weeks, a horrible storm. They prayed, asked God to stop the storm. When they prayed, the storm stopped. Hundreds of vessels were lost in that storm, but this one ship made it. And so they're in Holland for about 12 years under their pastor, John Robinson. And then they went back to England to set sail for America. And so, of course, they boarded the Mayflower. And there was actually a second ship that they... Uh, we're going to use as well, known as the Speedwell, but it broke down and, and they had to come back and reload as many people as they could on the Mayflower. So not all of them got to come to America. And you need to understand the Mayflower was not built to cross the Atlantic. It was a cargo ship. It actually delivered wine to the different ports over there, you know. It was a cargo ship. It wasn't designed to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. And so 102 in number, Puritan separatists, who we would be, they would become known as the pilgrims, came to America. They were 66 days on the ocean, and during that time they were wet, most of it, seasick, and so on. But in the midst of that, William Bradford, who would be their governor and was their governor, said this. He said, if we lose our lives in this endeavor... At least we know our cause is just and honorable. Think about that. If we lose our lives in this endeavor, at least we know our cause is just and honorable. And as they came over here to America, of course, many of them died and the pilgrims died and, you know, from sickness and and, and so on. But. What I want to call attention to is what is known as the Mayflower Compact. We're looking at the foundation of America. The Mayflower Compact, it was a document established by the pilgrims for civil government in the New World. For civil government in the New World. And and, uh, in part, it'll be up on the screen, you can look at it. In part, and let me just read, it says this. Having undertaken... For the glory of God and the advancements of the Christian faith. The advancements of the Christian faith. These pilgrims were Christians. Devout Christians that wanted to live pure before God. And so they came over here for the advancements of the Christian faith. In honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these present solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic. A civil body politic. So in their political statement, 
It was founded on the advancement of the Christian faith. And so this Mayflower Compact gives us insight into our forefathers, the pilgrims, and to what America was founded upon, the advancement of the Christian faith. You need to understand that, that America was founded on the advancement of the Christian faith. Now, you need to realize, if you don't realize this, most people, I think, realize this, that America right now is in a mess. Horrible mess. And the question would come up, what would the pilgrims tell us to do to get out of this mess? What would they tell us to do to get out of this mess? Well, before we get to that, I want you to look at Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 20. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 20. You know, the uh, children of Israel, of course, they came across the Red Sea under Moses and then, of course, across the, the Jordan under Joshua. And... Notice in chapter 4, verse 20, and those 12 stones, see, God had them get some stones. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask, now, now listen to this, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So why were these stones set up? These stones were set up so that the generations to come would remember what the Lord did for his people there at the Jordan River. So you see, these stones were set up as a memorial. Well, what you need to realize is the pilgrims left us a similar memorial. Now, it wasn't built by them, but it was built for them based on what they did as a foundation that brought liberty to themselves and to America. It is a strategy for liberty. Now you might say, well, where is this? Where is this? Where are these stones? Where is, where is this monument? Well, it's on a hilltop overlooking Plymouth, and now it's hidden by trees. When it was first built, it was where everybody could see it. But now it's hidden by trees, and almost no one knows it's there. I didn't even know it was there. I have to admit, I didn't know it was there until just recently. But we need to understand that, that uh, the pilgrims who founded this America in which we live left us a recipe, if you will, for getting our liberty back. And it's on a hilltop overlooking Plymouth, but now it's hidden by trees. It's known as the National Monument 
of the forefathers. And they'll have it up there on the screen, the National Monument of the Forefathers. It's also known as the Pilgrim Monument or the Matrix of Liberty. And it's there because if we ever forget how liberty was built, this monument will show us how to regain it. We need to take a look at this. If we ever forget how liberty was built, this monument will show us how to regain it. Now, it's composed of allegorical statues of how to achieve and maintain liberty. Now, what is an allegory? It's characters that symbolize concepts. So it's an allegorical statue of how, and there are several statues, as we'll see, and it tells us how to achieve liberty and how to maintain it. Now, the first uh, one that you'll see is that lady that stands at the top. Uh, and if you could get in and, and see it, you know, and you, I'd encourage you to go maybe to the Internet or whatnot and take a look at these statues more, more carefully. But this lady is known as Faith. This lady is known as Faith. Her finger is pointing to heaven where God is, which implies that we need to look to God and have faith in him. We're talking about liberty. How many of you want to maintain liberty? How many of you really, really do? Well, then, to maintain liberty, our forefathers told us, first and foremost, that we must have faith. In God. And then also, she's carrying a Bible under her left arm that looks like it has been used. The pages are like opened. And you know how a book looks when you've used it a lot. You know how the pages will look at the top, you know. They'll look worn and, and whatnot like it's been opened a lot. Well, she's carrying a Bible under her left arm that looks like it has been used. And this implies that if we want to maintain our liberty, we need to carry the Bible and we need to read it and use it regularly. Now, it's interesting as you look at this monument, all the other statues around it are tied together by faith. Without faith in God, the monument falls apart. Without faith in God, we're going to lose the liberty that we have here in this nation. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in order to maintain liberty, we must have faith in God. Now, as you go on and look at these other statues, the next one that comes up is morality. Morality. Now, this statue has no eyes. No eyes. And it implies looking internally. You see, the internal affects the external. These no eyes implies that morality or character is in an individual is truly shown when no one else is looking. How many of you know that, that, that the character that you show when people are looking is meaningless if you're dishonest in private? It goes right along with that puppet skit they had this morning, you see. So there needs to be morality. And it needs to be a morality that is not just an exterior one, but an interior one. And uh, that will affect the exterior. Now, as you look at this statue here on morality, uh, she has the Ten Commandments 
Notice the Ten Commandments which God gave Moses in the left hand and the scroll of Revelation in her right. What does that imply? It implies that morality is based on the commandments of God and the entirety of his word. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You cannot have morality if you do not have the word of God in its entirety. The commandments of God. And Genesis to Revelation. Now as you looked at these, as you would study and look at this monument, each of these main statues have what they call side statues or side engravings on it, which further amplify what the larger statue means. And this one on morality, it's interesting that as you look at this, 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 this uh, monument, if you were able to, to look at it more closely, on the sides of morality, you would have prophet and evangelist. Prophet and evangelist. Well, what does that mean? How, how does that affect morality? What does that have to do with morality? Prophet and evangelist. Well, that's talking about the preachers. That's talking about the pulpits. The prophet and the evangelist. It implies that the pulpits and the preachers must proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the people. That they must proclaim the word of God without which morality will decline in this nation. And dear friends, that's what we have seen. And that's, that's in part, a large part, what has gotten us into the mess we're in. Alexis de Tocqueville came over, he was a, a French philosopher and whatnot, he came over looking to seek out America's greatness. And he went throughout the land and he looked into the, into the fields and the, and the grain fields and he went to the harbors, he went all over, he went into the school system, he, he, he went all, all over looking for America's greatness. And then he said this, he said, it was not until I went into the churches of America and I saw the pulpits aflame with the preaching of the word of God and the preaching of righteousness that I knew and understood understood where America's greatness lay. And you see, uh, this nation must have ministers, pastors, preachers standing in pulpits and declaring the word of God with boldness and clarity and in an uncompromised way, calling sin, sin and so on and so forth and, and teaching the word of God. And, and without that, you will see over time, you will see uh, a morality decline. And that's one of the main reasons we have the morality in this land. It's so low today. It's because... Pulpits haven't been in an uncompromised way proclaiming the word of God. Pulpits have been more concerned with entertaining people than declaring the word of God. Pulpits have been more concerned with telling jokes and stories and trying to amuse the people than proclaiming the word of God. Do you understand that? The pilgrims told us the importance of having a man of God that will sound the word of God. Now, once we move beyond the statue of morality, then we come to the next one, which is known as law. Law. And in his left hand appears to be the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. You see the Bible again and again in these statues. You see the Word of God again and again. In his left hand appears to be the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. In his right hand extended in mercy. What does this imply? It implies that civil law must be founded upon God's law and implemented with mercy. 
And of course, that's what we saw in the Mayflower Compact. What did it talk about? The advancement, the civil politic was based on what? The advancement of the Christian faith. And so you see, as we look at this statue of law, and we see in his left hand the Ten Commandments, and in his right hand mercy, we see that civil law must be founded upon God's law and implemented with mercy. Now, as you looked at the side statues of this statue of law, you'll see on these side statues justice and mercy. It's interesting, as you study into it, you'll see that, um, I believe it's the one uh, on mercy, has scales in one hand and a sword in the other. What does that imply? It implies that the law must be balanced and equal for all and punishable for breaking it. Now, once we move past that, then we come to the next statue, which is education. Education. And as you were to look at this statue, what you see here is a woman, and she has an open Bible. There's that Bible again. She has an open Bible teaching her children. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And something else we learn from the pilgrims. And and if you really study into them and understand their mentality, they did not have a two-year plan or a four-year plan or an eight-year plan. They had a generational plan over hundreds of years. And, and, and that plan would be implemented by teaching their children the word of God and passing that liberty on to the next generation. And so when you see this woman with an open Bible teaching her children, that's, that, that's something else that we learn from this. That's one reason God chose Abraham. Remember Abraham, the patriarch in the Old Testament? The Bible says in the book of Genesis, God God said this. He said, for I have chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. You see, the only way that liberty will be perpetuated throughout generations is if children are taught. If children are taught the word of God and the way of the Lord, you see. Now, as you study into this, as you study into this... um, uh, statue a little closer on education the two side statues are youth and wisdom youth and wisdom on one side of the statue is youth on the other side is wisdom now as you look at the one for youth again you see a mother holding her child by the hand a mother holding her child by the hand and she has a book and the child has a scroll What does that imply? That again implies that she's training them, training the children, and looking after them. You see, her holding the word of God implies the training, but she's holding the child's hand, which would imply that parents need to look after their children, and parents need to keep a watchful eye on their children. It also implies that parents need to keep a watchful eye on what their children are being taught. And I want to encourage you, as a former school teacher in the public school system, 
And I'm a product of the public school system. But uh, I just want to say this to you, having come out of, out, out of it as, as a student and a, and, a, and, a, and a teacher, that you need to be real watchful as to what your children are being taught in the public schools. I'm going to say that again. You need to be real watchful as to what your children are being taught in the public schools. Now also, along with this youth statue, then we have wisdom on the other side where you see a man with a beard, which would imply an elderly man or a grandfather, with an outstretched hand to the Ten Commandments and an open Bible. Again, we see an open Bible. You know, your Bible does you no good if it's just sitting there on the, on the, on the coffee table and it's closed. Did you hear me? You have to open your Bible. You have to read it and study it. And so we see this elderly gentleman with an outstretched hand to the Ten Commandments and an open Bible. And on the other side of him, we see a picture of the world. A globe, if you will, or a picture of the world on the other side of him. What does this imply? It implies, again, teaching children and grandchildren how the world works from a biblical perspective. And as you go through these statues and you start with faith and you work your way around, you come to the last one, which is liberty, and and they call him Liberty Man. It's interesting as you look at this statue, you see that in his left hand there's broken chains and there's a slain lion draped over his shoulder. Of course, that slain lion symbolized the English tyranny that the pilgrims had come out of. The broken chains in one hand, the slain lion over his shoulder. What does this symbolize? It symbolizes that, that we must remember the bondage. And, and, and the pilgrims were remembering the bondage that they came out of. They remembered the tyranny that they came out of. And let me tell you what. If we don't remember the bondage and the tyranny that we came out of, we're destined to go back into it. Did you hear what I just said? And this is one thing that I see in this nation is there's very little persecution in this nation compared to other places in the world. My wife went to the Voice of the Martyrs conference they had yesterday here in St. Louis. And I'm telling you, folks, we have very little persecution here in the United States compared to the rest of the world. But you see, we must remember, because you see, living here in the United States, it's real easy to take things for granted. I said it's real easy to take things for granted. But we must remember, it's, it's, it's like, it's same thing with salvation. You know, when you get saved and you come out of that life of sin, you, don't, you need to remember from whence you came. Now, you don't need to live back there. But you need to remember from whence you came, because if you don't, you're, you're, you're destined to go back into that bondage. I remember what I was before I got saved. I remember I, I, I was a cheater at Old Maid. I was a cheater. I cheated. I'd cheat you. But thank God I got saved. Amen? Praise God. And so I remember what I was, because I don't want to go back there and be that anymore. Did you hear me? And you see, the pilgrims are telling us, hey, remember the bondage from whence we came out of so that we don't go back into it. Now, 
Also, as you look at this figure of liberty, he has a content look on his face, and that's a result of being free. He also has a watchful look on his face with a sword in his hand. Well, what does that mean? It means that if we want to keep our liberty, we have to keep a continual watch to maintain it, and we have to be willing to defend it with force if necessary. Now, as you look at the side statues for liberty, it's interesting that liberty, this liberty man, there's a side statue there. You can't really see it, but if, if you look at it more closely, you could. And this man has tyranny under his feet. But it's, in, it's in, under his foot. But it's interesting that this tyranny that's under his foot, as you look at it, it looks like he's trying to get back up. Trying to get back up. Friends, we have to keep tyranny under our feet because if we don't keep tyranny under our feet, it'll try to get back up. How many of you know that, 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 that when we got, when Jesus was raised from the dead through his death, burial, and resurrection, when he was raised from the dead, the Bible says that the devil was positioned under our feet. Can anybody say amen? And that's where the devil is, but I'm telling you what, if you don't know who you are in Christ and you don't walk in the word of God, the devil's gonna try to get back up on you. You need to keep him under your feet. And the same thing is true with tyranny. If we don't understand some things about liberty, he's going to try to get back up. So we need to keep him under our feet. Also on the other side, there's a, statue, there's a side statue of peace. And peace comes as a result of liberty. And it's interesting that the pilgrims won their liberty from tyranny without firing a shot. Did you ever think about that? They won their victory over the tyranny of the English rule without firing a shot. By following the principles taught in God's word, which is shown in this granite statue. I'm glad the pilgrims left us a blueprint. This nation needs to go back and take a look at this monument. And begin to live by it again. And again and again you see the word of God. You see the ten commandments. The word of God and the ten commandments. Now we know the Christian foundation of the the pilgrims. Our forefathers. But here's the next question. What about the founding fathers? What about the founding fathers? What about Washington, Madison, Jefferson, Adams and so forth? What about these people? In 150 years time from the days of the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock to the time of our founding fathers, the pilgrims being the forefathers in Washington, Madison and so on, being the founding fathers, in 150 years time, did they lose the deep Christian convictions of the pilgrims? Did they or didn't they? Well, the public schools and universities are largely teaching That the founding fathers were atheists, that they didn't believe in God, or agnostics, which they didn't know if God existed or not, or deists, that, well, there's a creator who created everything and then he went on vacation, doesn't intervene. And public schools and universities are largely, I'm not saying all of them, but largely teaching that the founding fathers were either atheists, agnostics, or deists. And not true Bible-believing Christians that held to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what they're teaching. But it's interesting that John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, along with Alexander Hamilton and others, funded a family Bible to see to it that Bibles were distributed to every family possible. They wanted the Word of God out to every family. Now this would make no sense if they were atheists, agnostics, or deists, but it would make perfect sense if they were Bible-believing Christians. And they were. And you see that evangelist there. They wanted to get the Word of God out. It's interesting that Congress printed the first English Bible in America and said it was for the use of our schools. Congress, I'm going to say that again, Congress printed, the, they had printed the first English Bible in America and said, and said, and said it was for the use of our schools. The Bible was put into our educational system, into our public schools by the signers of the Constitution. Did you hear what I just said? Oh God, I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus that this people would hear right now what it is the Spirit of God is saying. And it would not fall upon deaf ears, but that it would stir within them and they'd grab a hold of this and get fired up in Jesus' name. I want to say that again. The Bible was put in our education system into our public schools by the signers of the Constitution. The Bible was put in our education system into our public schools by the signers of the Constitution. In my mind, that would imply clearly to me that it is totally constitutional to have the Bible in the public school and used as a textbook. Because that was the intention of the originator's Of the Constitution. So we see the founding fathers not deviating from the Christian beliefs of the pilgrims, but rather following them. However, it's interesting, two Cornell University professors wrote a book titled, The Godless Constitution. This book is used in many universities today. May even be used in some high schools. But in their book, they used no footnotes. They proceeded with the assumption that the founding fathers were atheists, agnostics, or deists. The reason they used no footnotes in this book, The Godless Constitution, is because they could not document their statements. This is called revisionism. Where history is revised based on the person writing the history book. This is dangerous. And this has the devil's fingerprints on it. And he's been doing this for a while. You see, revisionism, here's how it works. Here's what they do. They use a sheer minority 
to establish a falsehood which is then taught as fact. They use a sheer minority to establish a falsehood which is then taught as fact. For example, they'll say this. Well, the founders were all slave owners because Jefferson had slaves. Well, he was just one of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, yet 70% of the signers of the Declaration of Independence established the first abolitionist society against slavery. So they take what one, one person did, and that's a sheer minority, and they use it to establish a falsehood, and then they get that in the textbooks that are in the public schools, and then in the process of time, that falsehood is accepted as a fact. And then you have, then ignorance kicks in because teachers and people just teach it because the book said it. And then you have a generation of people that don't know our foundation. Thus liberty falls. And that's what's been going on in this nation. It's time we expose this. And some good men have been working on this, but we need to get on with them. Amen? Here's another thing they'll say in revisionism. They'll say, well, the founders were all atheists, agnostic or deist, because maybe one of them might have been or there might have been two of them that might have been. But you need to understand this. 29 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, that's 50% of them, had seminary degrees. They loved and respected Jesus. You see, in this book, The Godless Constitution, they use a document here or there, which is a sheer minority, to establish a falsehood. But it's interesting, for every document they use, there's usually 50 to 100 or more documents to refute their claims. It's interesting, Harvard University, have you ever heard of that acclaimed institution of higher learning? But listen, the plaque out front, which is now hidden by trees, somebody needs to get a chainsaw. I mean that monument to the pilgrims, that's hidden by trees. Somebody ought to get a chainsaw. This plaque at Harvard is hidden now by trees. It used to be right at the forefront, hidden now by trees. Somebody ought to get a chainsaw. But the plaque out front of Harvard essentially says to have a civil government that has justice and law, it must have a moral foundation which comes from the church. Now, if you know anything about Harvard now, they wouldn't stand behind that. But that's what, the, see, or foundational, that was their foundation. The motto of Harvard used to, be, used to be, oh listen, the motto of Harvard used to be Christ and the church. Then Christ and the church and truth. But 200 years after Harvard was founded, a president came along named Charles William Eliot, who, listen to this, who had Christ and the church removed. You need to understand about the power of the one or the power of a few. Particularly in the light of when you've got the multitude sitting there on their hands doing nothing. Did you hear what I just said? You need to understand the power of one person or the power of a few. 
the power of one atheist, the power of one heathen, the power of a small group of heathenistic, atheistic people that rise up and let their voice be known while the multitude of Christians are sitting on their hands doing nothing, those few people can rise up if Christians won't let their voice be heard. Those few people can rise up and have Jesus and the church removed from everything. Listen to this. Back in 1962, 1963, actually, I was born in 1963. But 1962, 1963, prayer and the Bible were removed from public schools. In the Engel versus Vitale case of 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 6-1 to one against New York's Regents Prayer, a non-denominational prayer which state educational officials had compelled for public school children to recite. The government-sponsored religious devotion was challenged in court by a group, a small group of parents from New Hyde Park. One year later, a case originated by a man, by one man in Philadelphia named Ed Shemp, challenging mandatory Bible reading in the Pennsylvania schools. Mandatory Bible reading in the Pennsylvania schools. Where did they get that from? From our founders. But one man rises up and challenges that. And it reached the Supreme Court. At the same time, Madeline Murray O'Hare, one loudmouth atheist, was challenging a similar practice as well at the, uh, uh, as well as the recitation of the Lord's Prayer in Maryland Public Schools. She didn't like it that they were reciting the Lord's Prayer in school. The Supreme Court, listen to this, listen to this. The Supreme Court consolidated the cases and in 1963 ruled 8 to 1 that devotional Bible reading or other government-sponsored religious activities in public schools are unconstitutional. And all I can say to that is, wow. Oh my goodness. These people in 1963 are saying that it's unconstitutional when the originators of the Constitution, the originators of the Constitution wanted Bibles to be used as textbooks in public schools and these Supreme Court justices are saying it's unconstitutional. I see the devil's fingerprints all over that. The originators want it in and these justices in 1963 say it's unconstitutional. A few loudmouth people, a few, a few people were able to get prayer in the Bible removed from the public schools. And since 1962, 1963, since then, listen to this, and it, you can go check it out, it's public knowledge. Since 1963, the teen pregnancy rate, the sexually transmitted disease rate, the premarital sex rate, the rape rate, the assault rate, 
The violent crime rate, the murder rate, the divorce rate, the unmarried and living together rate, the single mom rate, the adultery rate, the child abuse rate, the sexual abuse of children rate have all gone through the roof while test scores have fallen through the basement. Need I say more? We need God back in the public school. We need the Bible back in the public school. We need the Ten Commandments posted in every classroom in the public school. I said we need the Bible back in every public school. We need the Ten Commandments posted on every door of the public school. I said we need the Bible in every school. We need the Ten Commandments on the door... Can you say amen? My God, let these people get stirred up. You can, we need to get, we ought to be, we ought to almost be up in our, can't you see what's happened? Chick-fil-A, he brought it up in the announcements. The president of this fast food chain recently made the following statement. He said, and I quote, I think we are inviting God's judgment on our nation when we shake our fist at him and say, we know better than you what constitutes a marriage. You see, the president of Chick-fil-A was saying, in essence, that marriage should be between a man and a woman. That's what this good man was saying. He said said that, that marriage, God says marriage should be between a man and a woman. That's what he said, that marriage should be between a man and a woman. That's what the president of Chick-fil-A said. And I agree with him. And, and, and he says, you know, he says, I think we're inviting God's judgment when we, when we tell God that we know better about marriage than, than him. And I agree, we're inviting God's judgment on this nation. And this man and this company is being, now listen to this, is being called a bigoted company against homosexuals. And even the Muppets, remember the Muppets? They had a marketing deal with Chick-fil-A, and now they've pulled out of their marketing deal because this man came against the sin of homosexuality. Of course, Governor Mike Huckabee, who is a wonderful man, and others have called for support of Chick-fil-A this Wednesday, August 1st, by going to their restaurant. I plan to go to one this Wednesday if I have to stand in line for three hours. That'd be good if I had to. However, now watch this. However, various political leaders have sounded off against Chick-fil-A. And a city alderman of Chicago said he wants Chick-fil-A to adopt a written anti-discrimination policy before it is granted a permit for a new restaurant in Chicago. Friends, can't you see where all of this is headed? The government will eventually insist on limiting what a minister can say from the pulpit concerning homosexuality. Then eventually on other issues or... Permits will not be granted to build churches and or tax exemptions will be revoked. Thus, the government will control the pulpits, 
Thus, the pulpits will be limited. And though the government will control the pulpit, the pulpit, the people, and liberty will surely fall and tyranny will arise. Did you get that? I want to say it again. The government will eventually... Here, This is where this is headed. I'm going to tell you as a man of God under the anointing of God where this is headed if we don't all stand up and stop it. This is where this is headed. The government will eventually insist on limiting what the minister can say from the pulpit concerning homosexuality or any other sin or issue. Or we won't give you a permit to... Build your building or to build your addition or we're going to take your tax exemption away from you. Thus they'll control the pulpits. Thus then the people and liberty will surely fall and tyranny will arise. Well, I'm going to tell you, I plan to listen to the pilgrims and follow their instruction and keep tyranny underfoot. Pulpits must never allow the government to prevent them from preaching the uncompromised word of God. I said pulpits must never allow the government to prevent them from preaching the uncompromised word of God. See, I believe in submitting to civil law and civil government. All you have to do is read Romans, the 13th chapter, and you can see that. I believe in submitting to civil government and civil law. I believe in that, but it must be civil government in line with the Word of God. I said in line with the Word of God. In Acts, the 5th chapter, just listen to this. The apostles were preaching in Jesus' name. And miracles were happening. It's interesting, real loud, say, in Jesus' name. Yeah, one more time, in Jesus' name. Yeah, they were preaching in Jesus' name. You know, it's interesting as you look at that monument that we looked at a while ago, faith, faith. Remember that lady that was up there, faith? It's interesting that in the process of time, birds have built a nest upon that lady's head. And it's interesting as you look at it, to me, it looks like a crown of thorns. And I don't know if you can see it on the picture there, but if you got a closer look, there's a, there, and it, what, what does that say to me? I, I know what it says to me is that, you know, it's one thing to say, have faith in God. You might even be able to get away with that in certain public places. But I'm telling you what, if you want to have a riot on your hands, you just go into a public school or you just go into some place and you say that name, that name of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, you'll have everybody and their brother in an uproar. Did you hear me? I know because I've done it as a student and I've done it as a teacher. You can you can get away at talking about God. I tell you what, well, up to a certain point. But I tell you what, if you want to have a have a riot on your hands, all you have to do is use the name of Jesus. Because I tell you what, the devil does not want that name mentioned in public school or anywhere else. Why? Because there's just something about that name. I look for that name, the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name that's named in heaven and on earth. That 
that at the name of Jesus every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must not forget, yes, have faith in God, but I tell you what, this nation was built on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that hung on the cross. He's the one that shed His blood. He's the one that was buried and on the third day raised by the power of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. He's the one that baptizes in the Holy Ghost. He's the one with the healing power of God. He's the one with the virtue coming out of Him. He's the one that is the truth and is the life. Praise God forevermore. Oh, I pray, God, that the name of Jesus would be sounded from behind the teacher's desk, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He saves, that He heals, that He baptizes in the Holy Ghost. Amen. This nation was not just founded upon some some ambiguous God. This nation was founded upon the, 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 the Father, the God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, can anybody say Amen. Glory to God. Yeah, have faith in God, but have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no power in Allah. There's no power in Buddha. There's no power in all these other falsities. But I'll tell you what, there's power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So in Acts 5, the apostles were preaching in Jesus' name. Miracles were happening. As a result, the authorities put the apostles in prison. They were miraculously released by the angel of the Lord and told to continue to preach. Yeah, but the authorities told them not to. The angel told them to. Who are you going to believe? Well, when brought before the authorities, they said we ought to obey God rather than man. The authorities beat them and commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. But daily in the temple, both public and in every house, private, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I'm telling you what. Pastors, ministers must be prepared to lose their tax exemptions and even go to prison. But we must not allow the government to gain control of the pulpit. And I'm telling you, I stand here today, and this will go out over the Internet, but I'm willing, I'm what they can, I'm, I'm, they can, they, you know what? Well, Pastor Sheila, you can't preach the word of God. We're going to pull your tax exemption. You know what they can do with their tax exemption? Use your imagination. Yeah, they're going to put you in jail. Well, the angels of God are still in operation, glory to God. They're liable to let me out and I'll come right back here and dance around and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. 
But pastors must be prepared to lose tax exemptions, have permits revoked, whatever, and even go to prison. But we must not let the government gain control of the pulpits. And friends, I'm telling you, that's what they're trying to do. That's what the devil's been working on for years. And we're getting closer with every day that goes by. But I just feel so impressed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to say that we must not let the government get control of these pulpits. Because if we do, darkness, you think it's dark now, you don't know what darkness is. And I'm one that I'm willing to give my life if I have to, but they're not telling me that I can't preach the uncompromised word of God from this little pulpit right here in Fenton. Did you hear what I just said? I echo what William Bradford, the governor of the Pilgrims, said. Which I feel should be the motto of all ministers and Christians alike. That if we lose our lives, if we lose our tax exemptions, if we lose our permits in this endeavor, at least we know our cause is just and honorable. Can you say amen? So I want this nation to be great again. But it will not begin with the White House. How many of you know the answer is not there? I don't care, Democrat or Republican, the answer is not there. It will not begin with the White House. It will begin with your house and with my house. So let's remember the power of the few, the power of the one. If they're evil and the good do not stand up in mass... So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you on August the 7th. Let it begin with your house. Let's make a statement here on August the 7th. And I want to encourage you to vote yes on Missouri Amendment number 2. Stand with me if you would. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise God. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your anointing here today that enabled me to preach this and say what you would have said. And again, we trust that the people heard exactly what it is the Spirit of God saying. And that we'd rise up. That we'd rise up in love. And we'd let our voice be heard. And let our voice be known. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never come to know Him, I want to just tell you that He loves you. And, and, and there's a heaven above and there's a hell beneath. He don't want you to go to hell. That's why He came and went to the cross and went through everything He went through. So you don't have to go to hell. But the way to miss hell and make heaven is you have to... Tell the Lord, and and it has to come from your heart. I'm sorry that I've sinned and I've missed it. I realize I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And then just in faith, with a believing heart, just say, Jesus, I receive you. I believe God raised you from the dead. You died on the cross. He raised you from the dead. Come into my heart. And just that quick, you'll get born again. This hell make heaven, and the life of God will come in you. Praise God forevermore. If you need to do that, if you've never done that, if you don't know where you stand with, with, with the Lord, 
Be sure you know before you leave here today. So there'll be some men and women standing right up here in the front. Before you leave, you come up. Ask them to pray with you. And they'll lead you into a saving relationship with Jesus. They'll introduce you to Him. And you'll be glad you did. If you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, or you need healing in your body, maybe you just need somebody to talk to, that's what these people are up here for. So take advantage of them. That's what they're here for, to minister to you and to love you. Well, thanks for coming today. Let this, this fire that should have been ignited in everyone's heart today, let that fire continue to burn. Keep this message before you, not because I preached it, but, but because it was what the Spirit of God was saying. And let it burn within you and go out and make a difference in your world. Let's take this nation back. Let's take it back. And let it be great again. Somebody said, yeah, well, the rapture is going to take place. And what difference does it make? I believe the rapture is going to take place. But you need, to, you need to be prepared as though the rapture is going to take place in the next five seconds. But you need to plan as though it's not going to take place in your lifetime. Did you hear what I just said? See, the devil wants us to have this mentality. Well, you know, well, you know the Lord's going to come and get us out of here. So what difference does it make? Well, listen, the Lord is coming. He could come in the next five seconds. Are you ready? Should be. Be be prepared as though he's going to come in the next five seconds. But plan as though he's not going to come in your lifetime. I want this nation to be good for our children. So let's don't have, have an escapism mentality. Let's say, hey, this nation can be great again. But it's not going to be if we just sit idly by. And let the minority rule. Let's, let's rise up and let our voice be heard. And let's let the light of the gospel shine again in the public school system. Let's see these rates of these rape rates and all these horrible statistics. Let's turn them around. But it's only going to be turned around if we let our voice be heard and, 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 and at, the, at, the, at the polling, the voting. And, and we can change this. And school boards. School boards. School boards. Yeah, school boards. I want to encourage you to, you know, we, 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 yeah, that's exactly what the Spirit of God is saying. I didn't, I was going to dismiss the service. You know, we, we always think about running for president. Well, how many of us have a realistic chance of becoming president? Not, not very likely. No, but what about a local school board? What about a local school board? You could, you could run for that. You could run for that. You could get elected to the school board. And if you get enough of them elected to the school board, enough good Christians, in the process of time, things can be changed in the local school. So I heard the Spirit of God say school boards. So I want each of you that, you know, pray about that. Pray about You adults, pray about that. And see if God might not have you run for the for to get a position on a school board. You get enough Christians on school board that are really Bible believing Christians. You could, in time you can turn that school. It can't happen overnight, but it can happen, and that school can be changed. School boards. Pray about that. Pray about that. See if God might not want you to try to get on a school board. That was strong in my heart. School boards. See, we think about president. But no, that's not really realistic that we could become president. But school boards, you could make a big difference just right there. Well, God bless you. Hey, today's Family Sunday. There's some goodies out there. Go out and 
and rejoice and have, have the nice refreshments and fellowship with one another.